It's Wednesday, March 24th, 1982, and 12-year-old David has just tried to explain to his skeptical mother who the scantily clad savage was on his favorite after-school TV show. This is a Flashback Metabulous 2 podcast on the Robots of Death. Welcome, everybody, to the 54th, 54th edition <laughs> of the Metabilis 2 podcast. We've been on a slight hiatus over the past month due to my travelingness, and, you know, I don't know, It was I guess it was hard to organise it while I was moving around, um, but we're back. We're back, yeah. baby. Um, we're, twice as, we're twice as good. We're rested, tanned. Tanned. Yeah, we're tanned and relaxed. Eager, eager to talk about classic Doctor Who this week. Eager, eager to talk about about (laughs) classic Doctor Who and only classic Doctor Who, though, of course, we will touch on New Who if the opportunity presents itself. This week's topic is the second in our Leela examination with the Robots of Death. Robots of Death, yes. (laughs) I was trying to do robot voice there, but actually I can't. They, they, well, they, they were they much a, more polite. They were much more posh than that, weren't they? Yes. <laughs> Maybe I'll do the whole thing in like a robot of death voice. Um, <laughs> no, we uh, probably not. No. I probably won't okay. do that, actually. Okay. <laughs> so, Ben, what did you think of Robots of Death? <laughs> I, I thought that Robots of Death was a very yeah it's hard it's hard to think of something sensible to say and do the voice right you yeah, need, we a need a script we need a script, yeah, a script. exactly mm-hmm. general thoughts general thoughts on robots of death well this is this is this is top five material yeah. of all time really yeah, isn't it robots yep. of death um mm-hmm. i mean there is so little that's wrong with this mm-hmm. um that it's it's actually hard to think about what is wrong with it yeah yeah in my hyper hyper critical detailed look at it i found only really one thing that i can think of as a production flaw oh and which is the well we might as well get that out of the way is, okay um <laughs> let's 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 start out by saying that. saying what's wrong with it right <laughs> they didn't uh, uh fully dub the footsteps so it does sound like they're walking on plywood rostrums quite a bit during it not actually walking on the metallic floor which i would envision to be a sand miner that is a good point. Maybe mm-hmm. it's made of plywood. Maybe. Maybe it's, maybe, maybe uh, it's, it's done like, on um, the cheap. <laughs> I mean, wasn't it? Hang on. Uh, exactly. Maybe because um, wasn't wasn't the David Lynch the David Lynch version of Dune? Wasn't there like wasn't there like wooden wooden spaceships in that? I'm pretty sure there was. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, that's true. But I mean, that's a that's a you know that's a that's, that's a very a, minor thing. And it's not nearly as disturbing as as the brain of Morbius, where you know that kind of <laughs> it's a planet, but it sounds like a hollow wooden box. Oh yeah, brain of Morbius very much is very stagey. This is yeah, not. Yeah. And what really sets it apart is the camera direction that Michael E. Bryant, the director. Yeah. Um, had there you have different shots you have crane shots you have things different elevations and then combine with the special effects work where you have the cso mm-hmm. inlays on model shots or the live action details within model shots there's two that they do one going outside looking at the model 
into the sand miner bridge and then one going through like the big bays where the ore is stored you have this yeah. big model and then you see uh the actor's little bit of movement so it's very very reminiscent of what star wars was absolutely gonna it, it, gonna do contemporary with this yeah actually. yeah um this is when, when is this this is this is 19 this is january january 1977 um, I'm mm -hmm. not sure if Star Wars had even been released in the UK at that time. Um, and I remember very, very clearly just being astoundedly impressed by those model shots and then the zoom into live action. Right. I think I had only seen that on one of my very favorite films and actually still is one of my, one of my very favorite films at that time and still is one of my very, very, very famous bleh, favorite films is Doug Trumbull's um, Silent Running, where the kind of opening shot is similar. Mm -hmm. And I remember at you know, the tender age of you know, 10 or 11 or so, had 10 that I was at that time, just being so incredibly impressed by that. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I built a sand miner out of Lego and I drew endless pictures of sand miners and I was mm -hmm. kind of sand miner crazy for at least, at least a month or so while the show was on. Loved it. And so, interestingly enough, the visual effects designer is Richard Conway. And to his credit, he has Seeds of Doom, Yep. Robots of Death. He worked, um, I think, as an assistant with the Green Death. Really? So he has some good experience. But then if we look a little further, kind of glancing forward in time to Underworld, he was also the visual effects chief for Underworld. So, you know, you could see what he could do with some budget. And then when he's asked to stretch the budget, we'll touch on this in Underworld. Yeah. It's it's too much. You can only do so much and you have to use the CSO, you have to use the model work selectively yeah. and artistically. You yeah. can't rely on it entirely. Yeah. Well, I I mean I I mean we'll we will cover this of course when we when we talk about Underworld, but mm -hmm. I love Underworld um <laughs> and it's just it's really super stylish. Um yes. I don't have a huge problem with this CSO. I think it's all part of the stylishness of that mm -hmm. of that particular show of that mm -hmm. particular series so but so yeah, I mean yeah. again um, big up to Mr. Conway. Yeah, and touching on style, this, the style, I think, is what really helps sell yeah. this whole world. And this is a one-off costuming effort. This uh, uh, Elizabeth Waller, going from my notes here, She was, this is her only Doctor Who, and she was the costumer, and she worked with designer Kenneth Sharp to mm -hmm. come up with this look, this uh, art deco futuristic masks um, kind of a metropolis mask for the robots. Yep, yep. And it really works well and it ties in with the cast's makeup. It's reflected in the designs of the robots. It's yep. um, reflected in the design of the sets. And it really ties everything together. You can tell that the whole team, and they're all assigned to work on Robots of Death with Michael E. Bryant directing, worked, came together, gelled as a team to produce something that was... Uh, you know, greater sum than its individual parts if they had just went and worked off on their own. Yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the, I was going to say relatively few times, but I mean, I think it's one of the times where Doctor Who really comes up with something that feels like a piece of science fiction mm -hmm. rather than, you know, an adventure serial or, you know, a horror story or a right. drama or whatever. It really feels, this really feels like a fully realized, I and mean, a lot of it's down to, you know, the writing of Mr. Boucher. Yep. Um, but um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it feels like sci fi. I, I mean, it is a kind of thought experiment, mm -hmm. which took me about 10 seconds, to be honest. So I, I'm not really going to call it a thought experiment. Anyway, um, so I was thinking, like, what would have this, what, if, if this had been, you know, um, if this, been the future society that was you know worries of the deep you know and a, 
and everyone was wearing kind of space suits mm-hmm. and everything was kind of like flinking. I, you know, it would just it would it would not have been as good. It would not have been as good. Mm-hmm. Um, so the design, the whole design, and the casting of the multicultural or non just white English actors, yeah, really also helps sell the society as diverse as a society that that has some depth with Calder City, with the first families. This is they're all there to get rich. They're going after Lucanol, the ore. It has layers of depth that are reminiscent to me of Mac Hulk, where he has just little bits that he would uh, sprinkle in that would add depth to characterization or looking at the writer, writerly mentor of uh, Bob Holmes, of uh, Chris Boucher's mentor of, you know, just just the odd line or just the one off line that is said casually through conversation adds so much depth to the piece that yeah it builds the world yeah so it's yeah it's it's world building which is which again you know adds to the adds to the the feeling that this this is an actual piece of sci-fi you know Mm -hmm. and it's and and again as, as i think you know has obviously been pointed out that not only does it have its basis in kind of you know Agatha Christie style, um, mm-hmm. you know locked room mysteries, or mm-hmm. you know locked in the lounge. <laughs> one of you may be a murderer, but it got it's got strong roots in Isaac Asimov, um, right. I and, robot. His, <laughs> and his robot, the robot detective, the Caves of Steel, etc., 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 and also Frank Herbert, of course, uh, with you know Dune, Dune and mm-hmm. you know Sand Miners and Sand, <laughs> Sand in general. Yes, I think that's the main Frank <laughs> Herbert thing is Sand. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it's 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 a smart, smart, smart mm-hmm. show, and it's also um, it was, and I, it's still even now, it's incredibly frightening. It's it's a, it's 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 not it's not a kind of genteel, you know, it has roots in in, in Agatha Christie, but it's not a genteel, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 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 a country house murder. Um, it's a horror show. These robots are, are are out to get you, and it's horrible. Yeah. And, and now even more than ever with r- robotics and more automation and how there are more job, more and more jobs being automated and more and more likely that certain jobs will just be n- non-existent anymore because they'll be automated. Robots yeah. will do them or they'll be done through some kind of software processes. And combined with the whole uncanny valley of we have this mask of something relatively humanoid, pleasant to look at, but... When it talks, its mouth doesn't move. There is no expression. It's a stone-cold, expressionless killer when its programming is violated or uh, goes off kilter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's two two small scenes that, you know, again, uh, the rewatch jumped out at me again but you know I, I was paying attention to them because mm-hmm. they I still remember them from when I first <laughs> saw them the first is is the robot's hand that you know that is kind of caked in blood right which is genuinely you know you know I'm, I'm actually sort of relatively surprised that actually that actually kind of made the cut in terms mm-hmm. of terms of horror but this idea you know that the robots have not just kind of they don't just strangle you which is horrible mm-hmm. enough but you know some of them have actually kind of you know i don't know ripped your heart out or something right kind of, and we know, certainly this, don't see that one we no, we, we, we don't see that we, it's it's and, and that mm-hmm. one, which actually makes it more frightening is right. that there's some scene we didn't see where the robot really got its hands covered in some humans one of the humans blood right um the other is the is the really you know i mean the acting all the way through is amazing and i think it's mm-hmm. i think 
think it's you know it's a it's a it's a it's a, another tip of the pin to Michael Bryant for assembling such an amazing uh, ensemble cast. I mean, right. there's no one, even the smallest parts, are played really really well. Mm-hmm. But David Collins is um, uh, David Collins is um, uh, fear. Yeah. Um, when he's hiding in the um, uh, whatever he's hiding in, like a cupboard or something, right. um, you know, is is played absolutely straight you mm-hmm. know there is you know these the, he's he's genuinely scared witless right. by the situation that he's found himself in which is you know really really pretty disturbing mm-hmm. it, it's an interesting twist that under Hinchcliffe that we have some survivors in this story it you you would expect in this type of murder the only ones to get out alive would be the doctor and Leela Right, right. And you compare that in a couple stories' time to Horror of Fang Rock under Graham Williams' era, another right. Bob Holmes-edited script right. where no one makes it out alive. And I wonder if the control or the, the check that Hinchcliffe put on production values kept things from going as far as they will go under Holmes' script editing in the future. You know, it it seems to me like Pamela Salem Tuse. I mean, she was dead. We didn't have to have SV Seven recall the Voc, Super Voc robot that was at that point trying to kill her. Yeah, she could have been a fatality, and Ivanov certainly could have died along the way too. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I just yeah. wonder if it's uh, if this is a, this is a taste of things to come but with still the kind of uh, regulation that Hinchcliffe would put on things being, okay, we have to cut that, that's a little bit too horrible, or or, we can't kill everyone, that's a little too bleak. Yeah, yeah. Though actually, the 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 survival of the of the, so it's it's the the, the three survivors mm-hmm. um, at the end. To me, it it actually adds a kind of a weird level of kind of you know truth telling to the to the plot. Um, mm. Very very malicitude in in that this, this this it's kind of random. I mean, mm-hmm. no one get, um, there. There's not a sense that like you know uh, you know Russell Hunter playing Ivanov. You know. He, Ivanov's a horrible, horrible man. Um, in a kind of straight drama, um, mm-hmm. you know, traditional drama, you know, if you're horrible, you get punished. And the usual punishment that you have if you're horrible is you get killed. You get killed mm-hmm. by a robot. Uh, David Collins is a coward. Mm-hmm. Um, again, well, his, you know, his mind is gone. He, he his mind is he gone. Craps. So, I mean, in, um, so he he collapsed. So you know, a standard punishment for that for that level of weakness in kind of you know mm-hmm. American style slasher movie is you get <laughs> killed. Uh, Pamela Salem is hot. You know, mm-hmm. standard punishment for being sexually attractive is to get killed. So there's, I mean, it seems to me that there's there's kind of there's no kind of rhyme or reason to who lives and who dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that mm-hmm. kind of kind of that kind of randomness, that kind of you know unwillingness to engage in the standard okay well this person will die because they did this and that mm-hmm. person will die because they're like that that doesn't really seem to work in this yeah there's not that moralistic connection exactly it also doesn't really seem to go by actor as well i mean brian croucher you know is, is, is a superb actor mm-hmm. um i think this was before yeah this was before, before he plays he was, travis before he became the new travis mm-hmm. but you know i mean borg the, his character really doesn't last that long at all right so it's 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 actually to me i mean it makes it it makes it a lot more uh, kind of oppressive and frightening and kind of um real feeling that mm-hmm. the, you know, there is no rhyme or reason to who dies it's mm-hmm. it's an act it, you know it's, it's it's if you're in the wrong place in the wrong time robots will get you mm-hmm. 
And I, like you mentioned earlier, the casting, I think, is very well done. Even, I think, probably the weakest performance would be the actress who plays Zilda, Tanya Rogers. Right. And even, even her, I think, is convincing as a young woman whose brother yeah. was... I guess the the backstory is her brother had robophobia. He wandered out of the sand miner. Uh, Uvanov basically said there was money to be made and didn't go after him. Right. Yeah. Right. But just that whole scene where she's going over this uh, intercom speaker system, you killed Uvanov. That is a nice misdirection at that Lovely point. Lovely misdirection. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the unfortunate title, you wouldn't say, "Oh, maybe it was Uvanov," but you know it's robots of death it must robots be the robots death. who are doing it yeah i mean it's i mean just i mean we could probably do a whole ep- actually we probably should do a whole episode on the titling of classic <laughs> who yeah, versus good idea versus the titling of new who for instance mm-hmm. i mean there is there's such a wonderful rhythm and structure to classic who titles mm. that you know there isn't as you point out there isn't really other than the fact that you know that there's going to be robots in it and also people will die, which is right. pretty much like Doctor that's, every, that's every episode <laughs> of Doctor Who. It really doesn't tell you anything of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gives you, it, it's it's this, you know, uh, the, the naming of classic Who is, you know, it's like the Bible or something, you know. I mean, there's just like a, or, you know, the, the things are just called things and they mm-hmm. have this rhythm and, and then you just go into the show. And I, I said, you know, and, and I think one can find any any kind of number of sort of internet you know fan sites which kind of make fun of you know doctor who naming conventions mm-hmm. um but they it is brilliant because mm-hmm. it it just gives you a just oh okay that's the name it there's something horrible is going to happen right let's right. get into the show right. there's no kind of having to decode it to work out what the <laughs> hell the title means it's like okay robots death excellent let's go <laughs> it does what it says on the tin does what it <laughs> says on the tin exactly it's a deadly assassin exactly <laughs> truth in advertising and classic doctor who <laughs> exactly 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 mm-hmm. and as i said i mean one of the uh, i I probably said this on numerous occasions in the podcast, but I'll, I'll say it again. I think one of the pieces of genius inspirations that um, Russell T. Davis had um, when he, when he, uh, I've seen him, heard him interviewed, read him interviewed, where you know you you uh, that it's it's important that all Doctor Who monsters you know, have an element whereby kids can play them mm. um, the following day, the following right. Monday, and this is. I think this is this is you know making a making a virtue out of out of a out of a necessity, but things like Ark in Space Bubble Wrap, or here in 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 the in the case of um of the of the robots of death, the um the bike reflector. Oh, the corpse um, marker, yes. With the corpse marker, which is you know we all had those on our bicycles <laughs> at school. You can take them off, and bam, you, you can you <laughs> can play robots. Of, you can play robots of death for like three four weeks straight without like any 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 problem because you mm-hmm. have the prop right there. Right. Um, the outstretched hands, the kind of lilting voice, mm-hmm. the corpse marker, bike reflector, just perfect. Just actually going down to the, um, uh, go, going back to your point about kind of sci-fi details, um, just the kind of, you know, the the kind of the, the logo on the Laserson Pro. Oh, yes, um, yes. You know, which is like... <laughs> There you go. It's fabulous. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there's fan fiction somewhere. There's, you know, there's a book or a, or a, or a, you know, a big Finnish audio that kind of gives us the background of the Laserson company. Or I don't know if there isn't. There should be. You know, the Laserson should be uh, brought back just in the way that Magpie has reappeared. Absolutely. We need Laserson Absolutely. to reappear. We need Laserson <laughs> products exactly. <laughs> One by one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we need more Laserson products in our lives. 
Oh, goodness. Um, do you, so um, I just, I just yeah. there's some really nice bits of who mythos building. And I believe this is the first time that we get the explanation on transdimensional engineering with the boxes inside oh, and outside and keeping beautiful. the distance. And you think about it rationally as an adult or if a critically with an adult mining, you're going, that makes absolutely no sense. But yet it does. And it's 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 reminiscence of I guess we have had this earlier in the series with Hartnell when he's with saying TV, yeah. with the TV talking to Ian and saying you don't understand it and you never will. But this is this takes it a little twist of it where you have the big box that's further away than the small box that's is closer, and then you can say, well, the big box fits in the small box. But if you can do that in the same space, then that's transdimensional engineering. That's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful concept simply explained in a passing conversation with a new companion that just adds a whole another layer of pseudoscience or explanation or yeah, backstory yeah. to the TARDIS. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it, I've used that as a way of thinking in my, in my own work. Oh. There's that short scene mm-hmm. from Robots of Death and uh, the, the, the other scene that, that, that I've used in kind of talking to people about art and, and you know, doing things mm-hmm. is the famous scene in um, Father Ted where um, uh, the cows are, uh, those cows are, far away these cows are small um which is a similar you know i mean it's 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 a, it's, it's it's a you know it's a it's right. a scene that's a the scene that's about comedy rather mm-hmm. than about transcendental um and en- transcendental en- engineering mm-hmm. but it's still you know this this is a show that's talking about how you think differently about things mm-hmm. um and again you know i think is a that that's still an example i think about well yeah if you could put something that's far away and looks small at the same time inside something that's right near near to you and looks big um mm-hmm. then yeah that would work it totally would work mm-hmm. and just a, that that little bit of scene is right before that and speaking to the bike reflectors leela is playing with a yo-yo yep. and that's another thing that the doctor especially the fourth doctor used throughout his time and that is a very simple toy that most kids would have access to if they wanted to role play or act like the doctor yep. having the yo-yo and just tying it into the story with Lila's very intently working that yo-yo up and down yeah. saying I thought it was part of the magic and then the whole uh, explanation magic I thought that's a nice little scene and I like how Chris Boucher does that a lot better than like Barry Letts and Slowman did with kind of making fun of Joe, like in the right. de- in the demons. It's sort of like, okay, we have uh, uh, Leela coming from a primitive culture where there is uh, religious magic, and you know, magic probably had an actual manifestation because we saw that in the previous story with Zoannan, yep, and yep. with things materializing in Zoannan's uh, computer chamber out of thin air and that kind of stuff. But just Chris Boucher in his, in his second story here kind of upturns that, okay, we're no longer in the magical world of Zoannan where thought or computer processes can manifest things from thin air. We're in the TARDIS. TARDIS has laws. There's trans-dimensional engineering laws. It's not magical. It is a, uh, it is a machine that conveys us to point A to point B, and it can materialize inside a sand miner, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I think Chris Boucher has some really just really nice bits of writing throughout this story. And I think this is one of his best written scripts with, is. with lines like he addresses the idea of the knife. And the doctor says something like, if people see you mean no, them no harm, they'll never hurt you. And then he goes nine times out of ten. So it, yeah. there's just I think of the three Chris Boucher scripts, this is the ones that he's done for Doctor Who, Face of Evil, Robots of Death, and uh, Image of Fendal. This is the one I like the best. Yeah, this is, I mean, I think it is, it is, it is, mm-hmm. it is the best. Um, uh, and I mean, I, I, you know, he obviously then went, went from Doctor Who uh, pretty, pretty swiftly onto Blake Seven. I, 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 I kind of wish he'd stayed with Who a bit more, actually. Yes, because well, um, he's such a, such a quality writer. Yeah, absolute, absolute quality writer. And, and really, you know, the, the, really got the dynamic of, of, of the Doctor and Leela mm-hmm. very, very well. He writes Leela beautifully. Well, um, right. And, and just addressing that, uh, I think in these early characterizations of Leela, we have Leela running in and the, and the leather yeah. leotard on set, and this was this was a time when I was twelve years old watching Doctor Who, and my mom would right. come in and just, you know, this I'm a pre pre teen here, <laughs> about to be a teen, and just kind of the raised eyebrow saying, uh, "Who is that? <laughs> what is this? What is this show you're watching, young right. man?" And so that was kind of a, a little bit of a an embarrassing time for me, I think, yeah. <laughs> just trying well, to explain who. Who exactly the savage was? The savage is. <laughs> this well, beautiful course, as, woman. <laughs> as, as, as I think we probably said in the last card, this, this this is the time when my dad suddenly oh, yes. started watching Doctor Who. It's like, yeah. oh great, my dad's watching Doctor Who with me, <laughs> hooray! But I suspect he may have had ulterior motives. <laughs> However, um, I mean, over and above the fact that you know she is kind of objectified by the dint of her costume, the script makes. Oh, very little um she uh, very is, there's very little concessions made to the objectification of women of the 1970s she is very strong and she has yeah, very uh, strong has a little I, I mean i hate to use the word but she has a little bit of sass to her yep and she can handle herself and she you she know can like totally handle herself exactly. d84 <laughs> and she yeah. goes i don't have to explain anything to you mechanical man <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly and it's you know it's, it's it's funny because i think um uh, I, mean, I, I can't actually remember the context in which I read this, but I think previous um, Doctor Who regimes have kind of avoided, uh, you know, someone who needs someone someone who doesn't have uh, the enough level of mm. contemporary knowledge. You always has to be explained to mm-hmm. as a potential problem. Um, but you know, it just shows that actually, you know, the kind of the the, the intelligent yet unadvanced. Person, I mean, it's great. I mean, it, I mean, we, I think, I mean, I think one of the one of the key lessons it brings out is, you know, intelligence is not about civilization, right? And you can be super smart and and adaptable and intelligent without being, you know, from the future, mm-hmm. um, or even from the present. And she's she's, I mean, she's very like, smart, exactly. I mean, she's she's basically she's kind of Emma Peel from the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Just instead of a leather catsuit, she's in leather. You know, she's in a leather bikini. I would agree. I think this is one of the stories where she is best written too. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's a lot of agency all the way through. Really tell that Chris Boucher knows and understands Leela. He having introduced her, having written her into the Robots of Death, and that's why Leela is such a almost tragic character. Not in what happens to her. Well, maybe what happens to her, but it's. <laughs> It's just tragic in the way that she's written once she's yeah. out of the purview of Hinchcliffe, Holmes, Chris Boucher doesn't write anymore. 
I think Graham Williams really doesn't know what to do with yeah. this character. And you know what's interesting again. I mean, I'm, I'm I I I like Graham the Graham Williams work. I mean, mm-hmm. well enough. But I mean, I think there's certainly in recent years, you know, there's been I think a, a lot of, of of kind of fans of my age, you know, really kind of lord the Williams. Uh, era as one of the very greatest mm. eras of who and there's a and a, there's a lot to like there but yes. you know in terms of kind of sexism and not ha- not knowing how to deal with female characters mm-hmm. really you know the, williams is 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 a is a many many steps backward um over over holmes and Hinchcliffe, which hmm. is kind of ironic because you know uh, if you you know on a kind of you know on a superficial level the kind of hard-edged you know kind of horror aspects of Holmes and Hinchcliffe you know might uh, imply that you would be less good at handling female characters but it's actually it's the kind of you know light fluffy kind of dolly bird comedy sci-fi of Williams that often relegate female characters to a comedy, you know, to a mm. quasi-comedy role, which, you know, some actresses can mm. handle, some actors can handle, like Lala Ward, I think, hand, handles it very well. I think other people have a, have, a tough time making, have a tough time making it work. I think it's more of a mix, because we have some... I'm trying to think, in like, in season 16, where we have the Kaliak in Stones of Blood and Amelia Rumford... And that doesn't that that doesn't really oh, yeah that's and, true that doesn't really but Rumford is a but Rum, Rumford is a comedy character yes that's true um, and she's and she's de-sexed mm. by being old oh, right. and and butch <laughs> well but um, you wouldn't have yeah <laughs> you know um, uh, you know as and I think I, mean, I think I think if they'd had Professor Rumford and I I don't think they would even be able to conceive of the concept of having Professor Rumford played by a younger woman mm. um, because how could someone be a professor and be young mm. and also a woman. Um, well, the lesbian undertones there would have been a little probably too overt. Then. A little bit too much. Yeah. 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 So, and then I'm know. thinking Creature from the Pit with the female matriarchal society. But that, again, I think the female matriarchs are more done in a comedic comedic manner yeah i mean creature of pit i mean I, I don't know whether there's actually any direct connection but that always reminds me of the of that kind of aborted um uh, abortive uh Troughton story for whatever it was season oh, whatever it is when it was going to be planet of the women yes. oh, how amazing that women could run a planet on their own <laughs> it's extraordinary it could never happen in real life um yeah that's what creature of the pit always mm-hmm. reminds me of mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're kind of comedy comedy um, there's a, uh, we're not going to go off on a huge tangent, but if you, um, uh, the, 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 one of the huge comedy shows of the 1970s was in Britain was called the two Ronnies, <laughs> uh, Ronnie Barker and Ronnie Corbett. Um, and they had a, uh, I think several episodes of the, it was a, it was a Saturday night show. So it was on, you know, the same night right. as Doctor Who, but they had a planet of the women, comedy sketch uh, that went on for like three or four episodes mm-hmm. um and uh, again yes so that's, so that's the 1970s for you part of the cultural milieu it was the part of the cultural milieu yes mm-hmm. the, like the the hopeless dominatrix mm-hmm. and um, out of that uh came forth margaret thatcher <laughs> exactly who was who was a dominatrix but not quite so hopeless <laughs> uh, un- unfortunately um, kind of leave yeah. that on a cliffhanger, I guess. But another, <laughs> another cliffhanger. This 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 story has three solid cliffhangers. We have. I was just about to raise the cliffhanger mm-hmm. issue. These cliffhangers are extraordinarily good. So, 
episode one, the doctor's being buried alive by uh, sand or who's not who. And again, this is a, this is a, I'm, I'm going to interrupt every time you say this just so, to, to tell you exactly why it's so awesome. This is again, it's kids playing. You're like, mm-hmm. you know, you had it, you had a, you have a sand pit. Mm-hmm. When you're growing up, you have a sand pit at school. Like everyone knows what sand is like. Right. And everyone knows if you get it in your mouth, it's gross. Right. Um, everyone's frightened <laughs> about being buried by sand. It's fantastic. And then the second one, we step that buried by sand up to the entire ship is being buried by sand. It's sinking because Dask has sabotaged the engines. And then we have Pamela Salem at the very end. She's going down. It's a really She's going down. Yes. The ship is sinking. It's the Titanic. Yes. It's that's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And yep. then that ties in with the you know the coming back in uh, part three where the doctor just hinting ever so slightly i think dask knows where to look for the damage yeah and the doctor's already gone to dask at that point so it's yeah, just kind yeah, of a hint yeah. hint to the viewers and then in episode three we get the the big big cliffhanger of the robot trying to kill the doctor yeah, which is you know obviously that robot is gonna mm-hmm. yeah yeah so the robot the robot comes and in so it's been yeah. really nicely paced all the way through that we we didn't waste the big cliffhanger in the first episode and no, and no, so it, and it, it isn't until we see the robots we know the robots are the killers that the doctor is in peril yeah I mean and just to go back to the the second episode cliffhanger mm-hmm. with the sinking sand miner again I mean it really talks to it kind of revs up the level of risk is you know you already know that there's something obviously there's something going mm-hmm. on with the robots but then you know if the engines fail the whole thing sinks right. and we die anyway you know there's this there's, it's kind of risk upon risk upon risk upon risk and you mm-hmm. get an idea of like why these people are so tense right why these people are so unpleasant to each other this is a really really risky business mm-hmm. that they're engaged and it in. helps explain why just robots being homicidal could cause a mental breakdown a pull absolutely because it's the only thing right. that's standing between them and societal societal collapse it, it, it's kind of it's it's like a slave uprising and sort of like you have a s- entire society built on the back of this free independent or not free but those labor where you don't have to compensate for is yep. lucanol mining going to be at all uh financially rewarding if they had to have a crew of 50 to yeah. steer the st- sand miner because robots are unreliable. You know, you're going to need more crew quarters. They said their water had already been recycled, gone through everybody a dozen yeah. times. It's not going to be financially viable. So this, you can see that this whole society. And we know that, but, yeah, and we know that because they're endlessly they're endlessly bickering about their percentages. Yes. Um. You know, you, you just add you know ten more people mm-hmm. and they'll get you know a proportionally less percentage. Mm-hmm. So we know already. You know, this is this is a wafer thin operation in terms of the kind of money mm-hmm. that people make. Mm-hmm. Um. It's it's very right. very cleverly done. And just to further sell it that the that the, the whole society was going to collapse is D eighty four. And then Chris Boucher's, you know, beautiful writing comes again here. I'm looking at my notes. It's sort of like, if I was to tell you the world would end tomorrow, would you merely accept my word? And it really encapsulates just this persona of D84, which is the robot detective that we get in the asthma fiction. But D84 is more likable than almost all the human cast. I would yes. say. Yes, I mean, I, I would say like all of the, well, I mean, dis- discounting our heroes. Mm-hmm. And again, yes, you know, yes. the, the, um, the, I mean, the Doctor and, and Leela have their dislikable moments, mm-hmm. obviously, because they're kind of, you know, because they're great characters. Right. But no, did, did, I mean, I again, I, I, re-watching, but then also remembering back to when I first saw this, mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, we all love D84. Mm-hmm. D84 was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think, obviously, I don't really see how it could have worked week on week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, uh, in some ways missed opportunity right. that he never became. He, she, it. Um, they never became <laughs> a permanent cast member. Do, do you know the actor uh, Gregory D. Polney who played D84? Do you, are you, do you know if he had a much of a career or anything else going on with it? Or? Um uh, Wikipedia. Oh, okay, Wikipedia well, we can always me. check. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, he, I, he didn't really turn up. In, I mean, uh, he's not someone that I'm super aware okay. of, no. Um, apparently, he was best remembered <laughs> for his role as Detective Sergeant Mike Brewer in Dixon of Dot Green, okay. which was kind of um, a show I never watched. Right. Um, well, that anyway. kind of predates your TV viewing time? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. yeah it wasn't yeah. much in reruns at that time, so yeah, you would have missed exactly Dixon. But I mean, I see, you know, he was a he, he, you know, he, stage actor. This, yeah, he was based nineteen ninety nine, Pole Dark, mm-hmm. Tenko, you know, Howard's Way. You know, he was in a bunch of stuff. Um, I actually though love the two main robots, um, SV seven and D eighty four. One of them, one of the actors is called Gregory De Polnay, mm-hmm. and the other one is called Miles Fothergill. So it's like, <laughs> oh, let's get the creepiestly, crazily, Englishly named people to play the robots. <laughs> Miles Fothergill. That's that's excellent. Um, did, did Miles Fothergill do anything else? I'm yes, on, yes. On Wikipedia. Ah, okay, yeah, he was in Blake Seven mm-hmm. um, and Godspell. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there you go. Yeah. Well, it's obvious that a lot of well, Borg, uh, um, uh, Brian Croucher went on to do Blake Seven. Yeah. Uh, Which I have to say, I mean, we're, we're probably not going to cover a huge amount of Blake Seven on this podcast, but it was very, very confusing when they when they switched Travis's, <laughs> um, and I was very, very upset when Brian Croucher took out t- t- took over from the other Travis. Mm-hmm. However, it only took three or four episodes, and I totally warmed up to him, mm-hmm. and he became a good, a good Travis. But they never explained. It was pr- pretty much Dick York, Dick Sergeant time um, on Blake Seven mm-hmm. there, um, where you know it's um, um, who is uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that that changing of actors in mid uh, stream is more common in British dramas than it is in Americans, but uh, America does it too. I think wasn't it in. Uh, was it Bewitched or I Dream of Jamie? Bewitched, yeah. Uh, is it Dick York or is it Dick Sargent? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so playing it's, the Darren. Which Darren are you? Ah! <laughs> it gets confusing. It does get confusing. It'd be better to recast, but you can see why in Bewitched why they changed the Darrens or what yeah. or why they didn't change. She, you didn't want to deal with a messy divorce or anything like that in that era. Yeah. And I think I think I think with Blake Seven, I think the I think the I'm just trying to work out who the previous uh, get the name of the previous who the previous um to the internet the previous Tarrant <laughs> was. Um, I think they just they decided they just didn't like him being a Tarrant. Uh, be, I mean, being a Travis, so they mm-hmm. just got another Travis in. Um, but um, uh, Brown Croucher was a thinner, more wiry Travis, which mm-hmm. actually worked out better in the end. The previous mm-hmm. Travis was a bit of a brute um, mm-hmm. and maybe less flexible. You know, but pr- anyway. maybe Travis is just a title, like uh, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> you will be my new Travis. <laughs> you can totally see Cerebellan so, doing so that. <laughs> I can see Cerebellan saying that, yeah. Uh, we should actually, if, if, if we ever run out of Doctor Who things to say, we should, to- we should totally do an episode by episode Blake Seven side, <laughs> side podcast. Uh, I'd love to rewatch that show again. There is a, it's a rich, rich material. Sort it is a very rich, yeah. rich material. Yes, it really, really, the wheels start to come off quite early on in that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, still a killer ending, though. 
Killer, absolute killer, yeah, absolute. Oh yeah, gosh. Anyway, but yes, back um, to so where were we? Back no, to I was two. just gonna, yeah, Boucher just giving all the best lines. I think to D eighty four, D eighty four, talking about the lasers in probe, going yep. again, going from a uh, describing a, it can punch a fist size hole in a six inch armor plate, or take the crystals from a snowflake one by one. One by one, yes. And then the proverbial, please do not throw hands at me. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so. I think that just the writing and the uh, the voice acting and this of general uh, presence of D eighty four fan favorite for a lost opportunity for a companion and ultimately D eighty four is one of the uh, robots and humans that did not survive. Yeah, yeah, no, he sacrificed himself, which is you know very noble. And that that is kind of an archetype of a Doctor Who, where you have yeah. the almost companion self sacrificing him or herself or yeah. itself in the case of a robot uh, for the survival of the doctor and the people around. Uh, sad. D84. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have a little D- D84 action figure. I'm actually not <laughs> in a house of any kind right now, but if, if I were in my actual house, uh, in your podcast um, studio, <laughs> in my podcast studio, I would get my little D84 action figure out. Cause he's, he's great. He stands with my rose and my Sarah Jane action figures, and they and they they play together probably <laughs> when I'm not looking. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, what else to say about this? This this the music. This amazing, uh, I think this is one of mu- Dudley Simpson's great. greatest soundtracks. With the <sighs> it's so Dudley Simpson, mm-hmm. it's got everything you want from Dud. <laughs> but just the and just the I don't know if this is Radiophonics Workshop with augmenting or if it's the the score, but the heartbeat of the robots or the boom 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 the. Yeah. the yeah. And just that is prevalent throughout the presentation across four yeah. episodes. And then yeah. the conclusion with the changing of voice, with the helium of Leela in the cupboard, and that that having helium, again, another thing, I don't know how accessible it would be for um, children in the 1970s in Britain growing up. Not super accessible. I mean, we all we all knew that helium did that because that's the thing that you knew, but we didn't really have helium. It wasn't a common thing at birthday parties. It wasn't a common thing. No, it was a rare yeah, thing. I don't think it was really common until the like, 90s until in the U.S. where the whole helium was deregulated because it oh, was no right. longer considered... Uh, Strategic resource. Right, for defense because we, we yeah. kind of stopped using Zeppelins. Decades earlier, but like, like seventy <laughs> years before then. But you know that was again at least. I mean, I saw that a little bit later when it, when I was twelve, twelve, thirteen years old, uh-huh, and uh-huh. that was something relatable. And that was sort of like, oh wow, you can actually. That's where I found out about it. You can change your voice with you helium. Your voice, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 a it's a perfectly satisfying piece of plot as Although... well. It's there's 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 just okay. Hang on. What's wrong with it? You 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 gonna do you got an all though that? Oh, I was it's sort of like is there really enough helium to fill up that space that quickly <laughs> to change Daft's yeah, voice? Yeah, it's it's, it's it's a stretch. It's space helium. <laughs> it's space helium. It's space. The air helium. is thinner on uh... on sand miners. Yeah, and yeah. they have to have helium on sand miners because when they start to sink into the sand, they, oh, there you they go. release helium <laughs> and it buoyants. It makes the it makes the it makes the sound minder more more buoyant probably <laughs> no I, I i still find like you know sticking the landing with any kind of drama with any kind of genre melodrama like this is really really mm-hmm. difficult and i think you know there are far more doctor who's where it's like oh really is that how they're going to resolve right. it um then there are like yes the, what a great resolution mm-hmm. this is like yes what a great resolution because right. it's relatable it's kid friendly um it's completely understandable and it sort of makes mm-hmm. sense 
um, you know, they don't recognize who he is anymore. Right, and it gives both uh, the Doctor and Leela something to do. Exactly, 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 exactly. And they foil the robot's evil plan, or Taron Taron Capel's mm-hmm. evil plan, and um, uh, you know, Bob's your uncle, basically. <laughs> what did you think of uh, the robot makeup that Dask Taron Capel was wearing? That was kind of hilarious. <laughs> oh God! Well, I mean, I think I think in retrospect, it's hilarious. When I was a kid, it was like, oh my. God, he's like a freaky, crazy madman. Yes. This is like horrific. Mm-hmm. I remember being incredible. I, I, I am still vaguely frightened of David Bailey um, <laughs> because he was like an evil clown. Um, uh, and, you know, he's like, wow, this is a this. And, and I think just what made me most frightened, other than the fact that he was like make, made up like a clown, um, was that it's, it's relatively unconvincing makeup, um, which then tells you that not only is he like dressed like an evil clown he's also insane he's crazy because he, yes because he thinks he looks like a right. robot now when actually even the robots are going like laughing by <laughs> their hands going like <laughs> he doesn't look like a robot at all um but it means he's absolutely he's absolutely nuts. Out of, out, 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 he's nuts Bonkers. and therefore he cannot be reasoned mm-hmm. with so our, our heroes are not going to be able to you know like talk him maybe down. able to do with zoan and like talk him down <laughs> and like you know fix him and get him to be nice Right. they've got to destroy right. him in some kind of way and that really raises the stakes yeah the makeup doesn't remind me so much of a clown it, it reminded me more of like a gilbert and sullivan uh the oily cart <laughs> mikado production it's the mr mikado <laughs> yes he should have said she should have started seeing like um the three little maids from school or something yeah exactly <laughs> Then he would be truly, truly insane. Exactly. Well, he would. He would have been like the boss from 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 um, from Green Death. And his, you know, humming of uh, uh, whatever the song he was humming. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I agree. He should have been. He should have been. He should have been humming some 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 Gilbert Gilbert and Sullivan. That would have made him more crazy and scary. Certainly. Uh. <laughs> Uh, we are gentlemen of Japan, <laughs> of the Calder City. Calder City. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a very, very effective ending. Um, scary, Eve, and you know, and again, he only really kind of, you know, it's only the final episode that you, can, that, you know you actually see the full level of his, you know, madness. Because previously, it could have, you know, he could have just had a plan. Maybe he was going to steal something, right. or like, or whatever. But you realize actually, he's. You know, one hundred percent right. That um, and therefore that's what the I makeup what does. Do. Yeah, that's what the makeup yeah. does. It's sort of like it. It is a visual signal that yes, he is bonkers, and we're going to have to take him down. He's not going to be reasoned mm-hmm. with. Which again, you know, is just attention to detail in terms of design and production design, and you know, because they didn't have to put him in makeup. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I've never, I haven't read the script, so I don't know whether the script says, and he's dressed up like a robot. Right. It probably, you know, intimates that. But yeah, it's just, it's it's really, really smart and careful TV making. And I think, you know, that's the thread that I think runs all the way through Robots of Death is that they were really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And they were, they created a, a, a fully satisfying, fully realized. Um, believable. Completely believable, excellently plotted adventure serial that ran for four episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know I can watch this over and over again and still really really enjoy it and I have done and interestingly enough it hasn't been uh, mined uh, by the new series we haven't had a return to Calder City or with these uh, robots at all it stands as a one-off 
I mean, I think the robots weren't the angel robots in um, the Titanic, Christmas Titanic episode. They were supposed think, to be reminiscent. I think of they it. were supposed to be of the same genre, mm-hmm. you know, of the same, maybe within 100 years or so, right. um, either side of, of Caldor City's robots. Mm-hmm. I, I can't decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I think it's. I think this actually works really well, not having a sequel mm-hmm. to it or having kind of it, it being referenced, because um, even though, of course, I mean, there is a whole... Um, how many Caldor City um, CDs a, are there? Is it a couple? Or is it a trilogy? I, mean, I, think, I, think, I think it's more mm. than that, actually. Um, I've finish. got some yeah. of them. Uh, no, it wasn't Big Finish. It was the, um, it was the other one. Um, what was it? Uh, yeah. Magic Bullet Productions. Ah, okay. Not as yeah. big as Big Finish. <laughs> Not. Yeah, and there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight eight of those mm-hmm. um i have a number of them and they are really pretty yeah. awesome they've got peter miles in them they've got paul darrow in them russell hunter comes back um because i think what is one of them is a prequel uh so yeah they're actually really worth seeking out in fact um i found them really kind of fun 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 bits of drama mm. um and they keep the, that kind of dourness of the of the chris boucher stories though i don't think any of them are written by him but anyway, it's not Big Finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Big Finish have done projects in the... have done audios that are set in this world, mm-hmm. but they have not um, done uh, a Caldor City. Um, it's Caldor City is separate. Okay. All right. Now, did you ever, as a kid, or <laughs> use the, the classic line, I guess, what uh, the doctor uses against Borg? The You know you're a classic example of the inverse ratio between the size of the mouth in the size of the brain? You know, um, I didn't ever use that. Um, I, I think I think it was probably too complicated for me to come up with at any particular It's moment. rather wordy. I probably would have gotten me hit if I said that to someone. And well, it got the Did doctor you? strangled. No, I, I, just, I just wonder. That's one, always one of those lines that you would like to think of. But it's, it's, I think a lot of people think of it as a great retort. Right, but it really is. I think only works for the Tom Baker doctor and the way he delivers it. Yeah, because you're going to get punched halfway through saying that. <laughs> right. Well, he gets uh, choked. So. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. it doesn't even work that well for him. Um, no, I've not used that one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, though I, 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 again, as 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 I'm sure you do, I use Doctor Who phrases all the time <laughs> in normal conversation just to amuse myself because mm-hmm. um, a very other very few other people get them. Get <laughs> right. It, so. Yeah, it's uh, waving your fan flag without being explicit about it. (laughs) Exactly. It it, it has a strange kind of Douglas Adams feel to it, that phrase, Hmm. um, which I think is interesting. Oh, the other Uh, little bit of Douglas Adams bit that I say when the doctor offers a jelly baby, I can't remember, was it to Borg? Yeah, I think uh, so. And he says, shuts up and then knocks it out of his hand. Then uh, SV7 or one of the Vox just kind of watches the <laughs> flight path of the Jelly Babies going across the screen. <laughs> That's really it's hilarious. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it, there's, there's just acting choices, little acting details. There's a lot of humor in this rather grim, bleak story. Yeah, which is, you know, and as we've all lived, we've all worked in like grim, bleak workplaces. Um, <laughs> some of us still do. Um, uh, um, and yeah, you, there, 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 there's, there's, there's always humor. There's always mm-hmm. humor, as, as of course we well know. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's another thing that just makes it more real, basically. And the um, other thing that uh, uh, I noticed, this is the second story in a row that Leela is slapped. Right. We'll, we'll find out if this continues. We will. But it, it seemed weird that two stories in a row, we have Leela being slapped. 
Mm. And I'm not happy about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, it is the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be that this is, you know, instead of her being physically menaced, that's the way that they're going to do it. You know, the doctor is strangled, Leela is slapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather, which, again, you know, I, su- I suppose in the 1970s, that's the more acceptable way of menacing a woman than trying to strangle her. Because it's it's kind of that's kind of too much, you know. You know, you don't you don't you don't hit someone with glasses. You don't hit hit a woman or someone with glasses. Mm-hmm. Basically, you don't strangle a, a woman or someone with glasses. Although they do it to Toos, so they Pamela Salem, poor old Toos. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But she gets away. Hooray! Yeah. Yeah. So this, yeah, this is good. All hundred percent. This is mm-hmm. you know, it's it's up there in the top five. Really, mm-hmm. um, I've never actually really named my top five, but it's certainly it's 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 jostling around with. Um, Genesis of the Daleks and mm-hmm. Green Death and um, classics of that of that ilk. And for a one-off story, it's certainly re- memorable, and it's tighter paced, it's tighter packed than say Genesis of the Daleks, which is stretched over six episodes. It does, and yeah. so it has yeah. a little more padding. This is a very, very enjoyable, self-contained on the soundstage production uh, that does really remarkable things exactly exactly and and it was you know it's memorable enough um to have spawned action figures Mm -hmm. um of course sadly no longer being made but you know you can get a d84 and an sv7 and like a whole bunch of regular vox and you get a you can get a vox that has light up red eyes um they're slightly overscale i'll have to say (laughs) it's one of my concerns about my my robots of death action figures is they are a little bit overscale, but um, that's fine. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's super. I mean, I would love someone should be if someone made me a a Storm Mine Four model, I'd certainly I'd, I'd buy the hell out of that. So get weaving. What we need is a D84 Supervac Vac face mask that we can wear this uh, Halloween or at a fancy dress that we'd all... <laughs> I don't know why no one has done that. I mean, someone must have done it. So I just probably haven't looked hard enough. But I would, again, I'd buy the hell out of that. And then I'd get my kind of, you know, my pointy-shouldered silver yep. suit out with kind of green accents. Quilted, yep. Quil- yep. Quilted green accented silver mm-hmm. suit. Um, and I'd be, uh, yeah, I'd be strangling people right, left, and center all the way through Halloween. <laughs> or please do not throw hors d'oeuvres at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you will uh. die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Excellent. Great. So thumbs up on this one. Two Excellent. thumbs up. Yeah. Or thumbs, thumbs and toes up. Classic. Yes. Yep. Classic. Very classic. enjoyable. It, 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 it puts the classic in classic who. <laughs> or something. Those Next week. All right. So next week, well, this was the penultimate Hinchcliffe Holmes era story. So we're going to have the ultimate or the final. <gasps> Talons. Yep. The grand finale of the season 14, Talons of Wang Chiang. The one where they <laughs> blew the budget to <laughs> such an extent that they never actually recovered. Nope. Um, in terms of spending money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who is still trying to pay back <laughs> the debt, the, de- the money that was borrowed to make this to make this particular episode. Big budget production coming up here next, and of course, very sadly, timely with the passing mm-hmm. of Trevor Baxter, yep. um, who, um, by all accounts, seems to have been a stand-up fellow. Um, I cannot believe that he was that young <laughs> when he was playing that character, but it's great. I mean, and we, we may t- I mean, I haven't really listened to more mm-hmm. than one of them because I, there's only a certain number of minutes that I have in the day, but um, we can maybe touch, Jago touch and on Lightfoot's. the, 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 the mm-hmm. and Lightfoot adventures, which of course have Louise Jameson um, ah, as a character in them from mm-hmm. time to time. 
Yes. Okay. Well, great. Excellent. Well, um, we're going to sign ourselves out. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to episode 54. Of this has been a flashback Metabilis 2 on the robots of death. I've been talking to Ben. And I've been talking to David. And thanks for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> awesome. Super. One of the best. It is one of the best. It really is. Next time on the Metabulous 2 Podcast. Doctor, you make me wear strange clothes, you tell me nothing, you are trying to annoy me. Ben and David will flash back to the Palace of Wang Chiang. <laughs> <laughs>